I added one more podcast to the giant podcast bin. Now you have plucked that podcast out and started listening. I took my microphone and found some human folk. Then I recorded all the noises while we spoke. My name is Adam Buxton. I'm a man. I want you to enjoy this. That's the plan. Hey, how you doing, podcats? Adam Buxton here. I hope this finds you as well as possible. I am speaking from a farm track in East Anglia, UK, in the middle of April 2020. I'm out on my lockdown exercise walk with my dog friend Rose. Anyway, listen, let's get into it, shall we? It was a longer gap than I expected between the last podcast I put out and this one because I was finishing the audiobook. It's nearly there. I think it's going to be available on April the 30th from all the usual audiobook outlets, Audible, etc. It's called Ramble Book. Don't know if I mentioned that already. It's a series of essays about important relationships in my life, particularly those with my dad, Joe Cornish, David Bowie. Lots of stories about... My adolescence, formative cultural influences, arguments with people on trains, my children, etc. I've tried to make it fun, although it occasionally gets heavy. Like this podcast. Maybe not this episode of this podcast. I don't think this one gets too heavy. It is with British comedian Romesh Ranganathan, a returning guest to the podcast few brief rom facts for you actually these are recycled rom facts from the last time he was on but it doesn't hurt just to remind you Romesh was raised in Crawley West Sussex he is of Sri Lankan Tamil descent he is a vegan he was raised Hindu he supports Arsenal football gang before going professional as a comedian in 2012 Romesh was a maths teacher he is now married to Lisa a woman with whom he has three human children as well as pretty much every British panel show ever created and various live and TV stand-up shows, you may have seen Ramesh on Asian Provocateur from a few years back in which Ramesh travelled to Sri Lanka with his mother to explore his roots. We talked about that show the last time we met, which uh, I think we figured out was end of 2017. Wow, that was a long time ago, though. Different world. Ramesh's mum also features in The Ranga Nation on BBC Two, in which Ramesh, a couple of celebrity guests, and an audience intended to humorously represent the diversity of British society, discuss a variety of topical issues. You may also have seen The Misadventures of Ramesh Ranganathan, in which he travels to various destinations off the beaten tourist track and is shown around by locals. That's what I've put here. (laughs) It's a good description. It's a good show, and we talk about it here, as well as... What else did we talk about? Uh, We talked about probably a few of the same things we talked about last time, but it's always fun to discuss insecurity, uh, especially on TV panel shows. Yes, I do wheel out my have-I-got-news-for-you anecdote again. I also pitched a few ideas for new TV shows that I thought would suit Ramesh. And he responded, 
we reviewed the reviews of one of his shows and we talked about the coronavirus pandemic. Have you heard of that? It's been on the news. My conversation with Ramesh was recorded on the 10th of March of this year, 2020, nearly two weeks before the start of the UK lockdown. And though it's hard to remember now, we were still at the stage back then when it wasn't really clear how the UK government was going to respond to the crisis. And a lot of people were still unsure about how seriously to take the whole situation. Um, Now, I say that not because I don't think we said anything particularly inappropriate, did we? I don't think either of us said that we thought coronavirus was great. But anyway, that's when it was recorded. It's always good to see Ramesh. He's great to talk to. And I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Back at the end for a tiny bit more waffle. But right now, here we go. Last time I saw you was in LA. Yes, in 2017. And remind me again why you were in LA. We were doing this show called Just Another Immigrant, where I booked the Greek theatre and had two months to try and sell it out. And I was in the middle of that when I saw you. Right. And I don't know how it went in the end. Did you sell out the Greek theatre? No. The idea was we were going to just see what happened. Yeah. And as it got close, I told them to stop updating me. Okay. Because we did a few things that got a little bit of traction. So, for example, we deliberately, for the purpose of the TV show, did some mad stuff to to try and generate some interest. So we started building Trump's wall at the Mexican border to to get some attention. And that got like a a fair bit of traction. And then I started in my head, in my delusional state, I started thinking, oh, maybe... Maybe this is going to bump ticket sales. Maybe people will come and, and see this. But in the end, we've got like 300. 300 people. I think it's 350 and it seats 6,000. Okay. I think. So you got them all to come and sit at the front? On the stage, actually. On the stage? Yeah, because there's a big steel garage door type thing. So yeah. I invited them all onto stage, shut it, and it was like a comedy club. So it was good in the end. Yeah. And the show we're very proud of, but it didn't really do anything it, i haven't seen it where, where would i see so it? it was on showtime in america and then they showed it on sky one over here okay we i enjoyed making the show and i think it was a funny show this sounds like a lot of equivocation but <laughs> i don't think it was what showtime wanted really okay. in hindsight i think they wanted it to be a lot less comedy and a lot more docky i think and so possibly they didn't know how to market it or it was a different show to what they're anticipating. Anyway, the long and the short of it is, I'm not ashamed of the show, but it was, <laughs> in terms of breaking America... It didn't happen. It didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> but things have changed now, though. I mean, do you tour in the States well, regularly I, now? No, I've just come from New York. I did four nights 
at the Soho Playhouse, which was nice. And the gigs were fun, but it's not raised my profile over there or anything. The, the only profile I've got over in America is where Americans have watched British TV. It's not from watching that show. But there seems to be an increasingly large contingent of American comedy fans who are aware of what's going on in the UK. Yeah, I mean, so the first night I left the show... There are people there with Taskmaster books that they wanted to sign in. Right, OK. There's a core of comedy fans over there that are really into British... They're specifically into British stuff, so... Yeah. And that's nice. And you can understand, really, because there is something peculiarly British, don't you think, about comedy still? And, and there, there's lots of American influences in British comedy, but there is still something peculiarly... Maybe it's the sort of downbeat... I think the downbeat, self-deprecating... Yeah almost apologising for turning up and performing <laughs> nature of British people. I mean, when I saw you last, you were doing gigs in America. I don't, I don't know. I was there to do, specifically to do... You were doing um, Bug, right? Bug yeah. show, Bowie show, which was great. It was like, yeah, that was fantastic. But my delusions of going out and sort of picking up a few other gigs and, you know, yeah, I'll do 15 minutes here and 15 minutes there and then there'll probably be quite a massive buzz and then I'll probably get invited back to do it. No, that doesn't happen. You have to really work at it. Yes, I think if you want to do America yeah. as a comic, you have to go, right, I'm going to spend a few months out there. I think the idea that you're going to go over there and suddenly really go, oh my God, this guy's in town. Yeah. It doesn't happen that much, I don't think. Not really. Have you done Conan and things like that? I did the Late Late Show, Corden's one. Okay. I've done that a couple That's of times. That's quite a big one though, isn't it? Yeah, but loads of comics. I was doing gigs at small comedy clubs in LA and almost everybody I was on the bill with were both people I wasn't really familiar with and also people that had done stand-up on late night shows. So. Right. I think it's much more of a, a war of attrition. Because most of the time, people are just going on and trying not to embarrass themselves, Correct. aren't they? But then someone turns up and they're super confident and they're a tiny bit crazy, maybe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do think slightly not giving a shit is really conducive to doing well on those Yeah, things. how's your not giving a shit chops coming along? <laughs> My not giving a shit chops is good on stage and when I'm doing stuff. Outside of that, it's not. I saw you on Jonathan Ross, and you looked pretty okay. Yeah, that. I mean, I don't get nervous about things like that. Because I'd be crying. No, you wouldn't. I would. I definitely you... would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm not being self-deprecating for the sake of it. I just freeze up. And every now and again, I forget that that happens to me, and I'll say yes to something because I'm flattered to be asked. Right. Then I'll turn up, and I'll freeze up, and then I won't get invited back. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had that a little bit, actually. When I first went on Jonathan Ross... My profile was, I was relatively unknown and probably I would say one of those bookings where people were watching Jonathan Ross think, I've never seen this guy before. Mm -hmm. And so when they book a comic at that level, they essentially want you to do bits, I guess. Yeah. You, you're doing either material or an appropriation of material or some story that you know is going to work, I guess, because nobody's really interested in what you've got to say above and beyond being funny. And so... That was very easy because I had an idea of what I was going to say. I knew these stories had endings and whatever. The second and third time I did it, I didn't want to do that. I, I just wanted to talk. And that was slightly more nerve-wracking because I'd be in the middle of saying something and I'd think, oh, shit, I don't know where this is going. Yeah. I, 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 <laughs> the number of times my internal monologue after I'd finished speaking on that said... That was neither funny nor interesting, Ramesh. <laughs> I hope that the next thing you say is better than that. That happens the whole time I'm on the thing. I become very aware of what my face is doing. Right. So I, 
just grin because I think, well, look, if I don't grin, it's going to be obvious that I'm about to cry. <laughs> so I've just got to, I've just got to really grin and keep grinning. <laughs> I'm laughing. I'm loving this. Everything everyone says is funny. Because if my face relaxes, then it'll start twitching. <laughs> oh, God, it's so awful, isn't it? Yeah. Have you really frozen? You haven't frozen. Yeah. I've seen you on stuff and you, you look eminently comfortable. No. You, you've never seen, I talk about this a lot, but you've never seen the episode of Have I Got News for You I did. No, I haven't seen No. Not many people have. I often feel sorry for them because, you know, they repeat those shows endlessly. They're very repeatable. But I've never seen my one repeated. I think they may have burned it because I poisoned the whole thing. In what way? Because I was so bad. And because it was one of those shows you see them every now and again where the comedian is really struggling. Right. And they don't really say very much. And I was with Amando Iannucci and Bill Bailey was hosting. Were you looking forward to it or were you shitting yourself? I, uh, they called me in at the last minute. Okay. Because someone dropped out. It's my usual call up. Yeah. Subjects. Are you are you somebody that's a, who's across the news? Not anyway? really. Right. I mean, superficially, you know, I'll watch the news and I'll read the news websites and things like that, but I'm not a news junkie. Yeah. So I had no business being there, really. And yeah, uh, Ian Hislop, I was on his team. Yeah. He said, bit of advice. He came to my dressing room. Before? Very nicely, before, yeah, yeah. And he said, bit of advice. Get in there early. Just start saying things. I've seen people be sort of respectful and hold back. And then suddenly half an hour's gone by. You haven't said anything. Yeah. And that's you done. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened. <laughs> <laughs> it's, by the way, that's happened to me a lot. Right. That's horrible, isn't it? Yeah, it's bad. Because when you've been quiet for a little bit, the pressure on the next thing you say is yeah. exponential. It's like, oh, what's the quiet guy saying? <laughs> oh, the quiet guy's talking now. What's he got to say? Oh, that. I know. I remember I, 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 I did, um, I've, talk, I've talked about this before, but the second Mock the Week I ever did, I was so nervous doing the first one and did it. And it was, you know, they were, everyone was happy, delighted, blah, blah, blah. So I get invited back to the second one. And... I'm doing the second one and I'm just on it and it's, it's got, I'm just sitting there relaxed, waiting to do my thing. And I said something early on. I wasn't quiet. I said something early on, but I just dropped such an egg. It was such an unfun. I can't even remember what it was, but it was such an unfunny thing that I'd said. It just sucked the energy out of the room. And I had a visceral reaction to what I'd done. And I was like, oh, that was awful. And then... Eventually, after everybody had sort of driven past the car crash, they continued talking and started. To, but then I thought, "Oh my god, this you got yeah, PTSD." Yeah, you're so you're so unfunny. This is so bad. This audience think you're shit now. So if you say a second shit thing, you might as well get up and leave. You know, it's really I was just having all of that. Eventually, I've been quiet for a little bit. My recollection is I just thought I have to say something. And mm -hmm. I said something like, I am Romesh. Or just, just, <laughs> just to say something out loud. That would be good. <laughs> you suddenly sort of start turning into an android who's malfunctioning. I, I am Romesh. <laughs> <laughs> joke, a joke, a funny thing, a humorous yeah. line. <laughs> I think the Tories are unsympathetic. Do you agree? <laughs> you keep our racist. 
ah, Brexit, ah. <laughs> Please help. Help me, please. Uh, yeah, so it was a bit like that. And then I finished the show. because You're forced into Mop the Week because even if you don't do anything at the desk, you then do the scenes we'd like to see. So yeah. I'd talked to, you know, I'd obviously had to speak at the microphone at that point. And I came off thinking, I wonder if that was as bad as I thought it was. <laughs> and then as soon as I came off, my agent Flo said, should we have a chat? <laughs> And then she said to me, she said to me, you were silent for the best part of an hour. I had thought it was a few minutes. She said to me, I was, I was sitting there watching this. She was in the green room. Imagine that as an agent sitting with the other agents of the other people on the yeah, show. Yeah, that's right. And just, well, yours sorry, isn't you, doing very yeah, well. Yeah. So sorry, is Romesh an elective mute? What's... <laughs> <laughs> it was so bad. Wow, your your so... agent uh, was straight with you at least. My agent's one of the nicest people in the world. Right. So she knew better than to do that with me. My agent said, "You looked very handsome on the monitors." <laughs> <laughs> that was all she could come up with. It's just horrendous, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> um, but now, now you've got that lovely bed of. Everyone knows you. It's like, hey, how you doing? Good to see you, Ramesh. You know, you've got nothing to prove in that way. Yeah. I mean, you must be very recognisable. Do you get stopped a lot now in the street? I mean, you're on TV a lot now. I, yes. I, yeah. Uh, I get stopped a bit, I guess. It depends on the context. You know, my pro- I felt my profile has increased. When I say I felt my profile, has, I've noticed it from when I'm out and about that yeah. my profile's increased. But I think I don't get it as badly as other people because I think I give a vibe of being unapproachable. I, right, I, I do, you're grumpy. I guess so. And so sometimes I'll get tweets from people saying, I saw you out today, was going to come up to you, but didn't want to get called a prick, but I hope you have a nice day. <laughs> you know, things like that. And, and also a lot of the time I'm out with my family. When you're out with your family, people tend to leave you alone, don't yeah, they? Yeah, people yeah. are normally pretty cool about that. But occasionally... When I go to the football, I'm an Arsenal fan. I've noticed that has increased so much, the number of people wanting photos and to say hello. So, yeah, I, yeah, I do get stopped a fair bit, I guess. The thing that always occurs to me when I see you pop up in a new show, I'm like, whoa, he's got another new show? Surely your marriage is falling apart. <laughs> I mean, maybe that you might not think that this is the perfect place for you to admit to all the domestic struggles that you're going through. But how? that's the thing I think is like... How's he got time to actually maintain a family? It is something that <laughs> I've thought about in the last year more so than before, I think. Not because, like, if you do something like, for example, I do a show for BBC Two called The Ranga Nation, and it's, yeah. a, it's a topical show. That show is essentially six weeks of my time, and I'm in an office, and I work on the stuff for the show. I come home. And I'm, work, I'm basically doing an office job until the night of the record, and then I go and do the record. So actually, weirdly, that's better in a way. I, you know, it's, I do see my family then and come home every evening and have dinner with everyone, and, and that's, that's okay. The, it's the travel shows that really right. do have an impact, and it's something I've had to think about, because the last series of misadventures that I did, we have to 
obviously we have to get them done in a in a, a quite a tight block of time. So essentially, I'm going to some one place. I come back for a little bit, then go to the. It's it's a few months on and off that I'm away from home, and that is difficult. And my wife is very understanding, but you do have to balance that up against the fact that, like, our eldest son is ten. He is on the very cusp of still finding me acceptable as a as a person <laughs> to hang around with. Yeah, and I'm conscious of the fact that if I miss that time. By the time I get round to thinking, I'm going to stop doing all this. I'm going to be at home a lot more. He's not going to give a shit. He's going to be off and doing stuff with his mates. And so, that has been a consideration. And I've had to, for example, I've I have started to cut back on my workload, and I won't do appearances on stuff now. So I don't do any panel show stuff that I'm not. You know, I do League of Their Own, but that's because I'm a team regular on that. But I don't do any any other panel shows. I've just sort of. Just, stop doing that completely even the ones that are fun there's loads of ones that I enjoy but I just thought I, I'd rather not and have time at home mm-hmm. but I'm still doing the travel show I mean, I'm doing another series of the travel show but I've spoken to my agent and the production company about trying to space that out and give me some time in between so that because my wife is very understanding but you we, said that twice now I know I know <laughs> She's so understanding. Um, but she's understanding to a point that I just worry that one day I'm going to come home. Sure, yeah. And she'll have not said anything because she's being understanding. And actually, I've just hit the tipping point without realising. Yeah. How cool are you going to be when she goes and decides to do a travel job? Exactly. But, yeah. Well, let's just hope that never comes up. <laughs> no, 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 no. Hey, I tell you what, let's cheer ourselves up by considering <laughs> coronavirus. <laughs> considering the pandemic. Like, fucking hell, the timing, though. As soon as Brexit's finished. I know. Coronavirus. I know. Are you worried about it? Yeah, I suppose. I mean... Not in the same way that I'm, you know, I don't lie awake worrying about it in the same way that I do with the climate. You know, yeah. like the climate, every you... time I think about that, that ruins my day. It doesn't ruin my day with coronavirus because I'm not in the danger category health-wise, I don't yeah. think. Yeah. I am, of course, concerned for the people I know who are. And that's worrying. The disruption... It just seems sort of surreal. Like, as we speak, it is the middle of March and the government are talking about implementing an Italian-style lockdown. Do you know the way way you just said that was like you were leaving a recording for Society in the Future after it (laughs) all got tipped up? Yeah. So you're now listening to us in the middle of March. As we speak now, we do still have supplies. (laughs) But I don't know how long we've got left. Ramesh and I are still recording. We've got no idea if anyone will ever listen to what we're putting down. We're still doing it just in case. If anyone's listening to this, if anyone's left, please like and subscribe. (laughs) (laughs) It really helps. Uh, sorry anyway no exactly we're we're laughing now i mean who knows yes who who knows knows. how serious the situation is going to get but i mean still i think it's helpful to laugh yes i don't know if it's medically proven to keep the virus at bay but 
maybe. But I think yesterday as we speak, or maybe this morning, Italy was locked down. Everyone has to stay indoors for, what, three weeks or something? I think so, yeah. That's the idea. Yeah. Getting food deliveries from licensed deliverers. Yeah. Authorized delivery people. And that may be what's going to happen in the UK as soon as two weeks' time. So does it, so this means that all of us in this country mm. will just be in our houses for three weeks? In theory, except for the delivery drivers and the people. And how likely is this uh, scenario? I mean, you're not asking the right person because I'm stupid. What does a stupid person think the likelihood of this happening is? Well, you, now you're asking the right person. And I would say it seems to me like pretty likely, 75% likely. Okay. But have you had to have a radical change to the way you wash your hands? Or were you always pretty good at I was always pretty hands? good hand washer. I 20 mean, seconds? Happy birthday twice? Were you, uh, were you that level? Maybe not 20 seconds. Yeah, you, you do realise like, oh gosh, yeah, 20 seconds is a while, isn't it? But I've been carrying around the hand sanitizer. Mm. Is, that, is that also pointless or not? I don't, <sighs> I don't know. They say, well, there's certain brands that don't have enough alcohol in them. You've got to right. have ones with loads of booze in. Yeah. And they'll do the job. Yeah, I've been sanitizing. I've been more aware of not touching my face. Yeah, you haven't touched your face at all since I've been here. And I have. I've been conscious of the fact that I have touched my face four or five times. I'm a beard stroker, though, are you? Yeah, me too, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know that we're supposed to shave our beards off? Really? I I read something about facial hair makes you more susceptible. Oh, I heard that it made you less susceptible because it was filtering things out. No, I've... (laughs) I heard that it was like things live in there. Welcome to the <laughs> Coronavirus Information Podcast. Where two wildly misinformed individuals speculate on the best <laughs> advice to give. Oh, man. I hope that society doesn't crumble. And Me too. I cannot, yeah, and it's worth saying that. We both hope that. Yeah. yeah. Luckily, I'm in one of the industries that will be least affected, yeah. i.e., bollocking on and then putting out a podcast yeah, over we the can, internet. we can carry on doing that. Although, presumably, we've still got to maintain all those servers, all those fucking servers pumping. Yeah. Oh, now suddenly, the... suddenly you've got some skin in the game now, haven't you? Yeah. That's the thing. They had a report on the news the other day about the amount of damage these server farms do to uh, the environment. Oh, really? Yeah, they're all, of course. Like, how do you expect they work? They're these giant complexes with all these machines whirring away. And they're being powered. Some of them are, like, coal-powered. Are they? Yeah. (laughs) Holy shit. There's no free fun. (laughs) One way or another, you are fucking things up. Yeah. Yeah. Think of like, what is guilt-free fun? I was trying to think of this the other day. What is one thing that is entirely harmless? There's no victims. It's Did you come up with anything? The only thing I could think was music. Right. People making music, sitting down, singing and playing Do, the guitar. But you have to be there in the room with them. Yes. If you're, as soon as you start trying to record it. Yeah. That's a problem. That's a problem. But yeah, like a concert, you know, acoustic concert in a hall for 100 people or something that would be okay i think that's okay but then people have to get to that hall yeah they can walk it's only for local people okay so it's, a, it's a, an acoustic concert for people who live within walking distance <laughs> yeah. that's the only fun that's left yes <laughs> okay i can live with that i mean what else though what else in the modern world though today i was thinking about how much i hate clickbait right and i was thinking 
Clickbait's everything that's wrong with the world. Fucking clickbait. Why doesn't anyone do anything about clickbait? And I know people are probably listening to this going, duh, it's fucking clickbait, you moron. Everyone knows that you're not supposed to click on it. <laughs> but the thing is that people do, yeah. evidently, and it's just become so normalized now. It's at the bottom of every single website, however sort of high-minded the website might be. There's just a load of clickbait, really obnoxious shit clickbait about... Like what? Like, well, I'm looking at some right now. This is one site that seems to have cornered the market, or maybe it's just my browser now goes, oh, you like clickbait. We'll take you back here every time. But it seems to be at the bottom of a load of websites and articles. Zergnet. Have you ever come across Uh, No, I've never come across it. It looks like this, look. So read a few of those out. Uh, Paul Walker's disturbing autopsy report is now out in the open. Love scenes that went too far. That Winnie from Wonder Years, that'd be one I'd probably click on. (laughs) Winnie from Wonder Years is in her 40s now and crazy gorgeous. (laughs) The never-ending... It's loads of these creepy stories about, like, either how this ageing celebrity lives now is particularly sad. Yeah, That's one of the phrases they use. Disturbing things everyone so willingly ignores about Tom Hanks. (laughs) All of them, without exception, are underwhelming and obvious. Yeah. Even when you've got to a point where you're expecting it to be slightly underwhelming, it will still disappoint beyond that. Yeah. Beyond your expectation. <laughs> exactly. It's so bad. Billie Eilish's transformation is seriously turning heads. And the other thing is, the reason Billie Eilish wears baggy clothes is particularly sad. It doesn't say that. Have yeah. you made that one up? No. Why do you think Billie Eilish wears baggy clothes, Ramesh Ranganathan? It's, um, it's particularly sad. What is the reason? She doesn't want people to judge her on what kind of body she has. She's a sensible person. She realises that people in the media are fucking idiots and that if she gives them an inch, they'll take a mile. And so she's like, no, you're not going to shame me because my bum doesn't look right. So I'm going to wear baggy clothes and you can fuck off. That is particularly sad, isn't it? It's particularly sad. Okay, talking of the misadventures of Ramesh Ranganathan, mm. your show, which I really enjoyed, by the oh, way. Oh, thank you very much. And thank my you. wife was very excited when I said that I was seeing you again. She was like, I love Ramesh. Oh, did she say yeah. that? That's so nice. And it was one of the few shows on TV. It felt like an old-fashioned show that we used to grow up with right. that would have been hosted by someone like Clive James or something, you know. <laughs> yeah. Or even a Michael Palin. I'm mm. sure people have thrown that at you as well. Of just a very likable host with an intelligent show and seeing countries that are not often uh, featured in these kinds of shows i I really enjoyed it but did the reviewers enjoy it (laughs) and actually you you started the show with a montage of negative tweets yeah was that right were they real yeah were they really yeah but i did think like 
They're always the same ones, though. You should vary it up a little bit. Oh, do you mean every episode? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's true. Come on, mate. Yeah. There must be more than just those. There is, but <laughs> well, we did loads of them. Oh, maybe we should do that. Maybe we we'll do that next Have time. Have different ones each time. You think so? Yeah, for regular fans, I would appreciate some okay, variety. Fine. Do you want a good review first or a bad review? We're going to review the reviews. Okay. We'll do the good one first. Okay, fine. <laughs> this is Carol Midgley in The Times. Are yeah. you okay with this? This is not... I'm, totally. Okay. Totally. Ramesh Ranganathan has nailed the celebrity travel documentary. Nailed it, mm. says Midgley. No other celebs need bother trying. Wham! Wham! The misadventures of Ramesh Ranganathan has somehow found a formula devoid of any smugness. Devoid. There's no smugness. Even when doing smug things. (laughs) Even when he's doing smug things, there's no smugness. Such as getting within touching distance of a rhino in Zimbabwe. That is very smug. To get in touching distance. Of a rhino. His self-deprecation and unfailing deadpan humour helps. You learn things without really noticing in these films, which are full of what are probably scripted moments of comedy. True? No. No. But don't feel like it, says Midgley in The Times. That is a rave. It's a great review. What a peach. Yes. Christopher Stevens, Daily Mail, (coughs) not so keen. Television is more ignorant, patronising, less informative and simply stupider than 50 years ago. And if anyone doubts it, the proof is on BBC iPlayer. First, take a look at the misadventures of Ramesh Ranganathan, the 41-year-old comedian and stalwart of numerous panel shows was dispatched to make a travelogue about Zimbabwe. Cynical and smug. He's not agreeing with Midgley about the smugness. Yeah. Never bothering with a joke when sarcasm will do. He sneered his way across the country like a know-all teenager determined to prove he's too cool for the school trip. Sneering your way across Zimbabwe. Yeah. I don't think that's a fair review, though. Obviously, part of your shtick can be written off as smugness. (laughs) But it's so clearly part of the joke, those moments. You were unfailingly respectful and kind and interested with everyone you came across in that show. Yeah, thank you. You don't. Do you you seek out the reviews? I had read that Christopher Stevens one. Did someone send that to you or did you find it? Well, we used it in the show, actually. We used a quote from one of his reviews in the show. Oh, yeah. From the first series, because he was he wrote a similar review about the first series. Okay. And it st- we, we sort of joked about the fact that he obviously doesn't like me. He doesn't like the way I do things. He mm-hmm. hates, and, and he's reviewed other stuff I've done in a similar way. And I joked about it to the guys when we were doing the first series. I said, just so you know, the Daily Mail won't like this show. Uh, there's a guy there that everything I've done so far, he hates it. And so they sent me the review for the first series. Somebody working on the show said, oh, yeah, you're right. He does really hate you, doesn't yeah. he? So we read that review. Then we used the quote in the opening to the show. And so I have seen that. It's weird. I thought I would be upset by negative reviews like that. But he obviously hates me so much. It kind of liberates you from yes. from any kind of impact. Also, it's the Daily Mail. So there's that kind of... Yes, true. Yeah, You can kind of feel like, oh, well, at least it's not the you know liberal elite yes telling me that sure I suck does your mum read the daily mail or anything like that 
My mum gets very upset about those reviews. Oh, does she? Or, or, yeah, she gets very upset about On anything. your behalf? Yeah, she gets really upset by it and becomes worried that my career is going to end as a result of it. And okay. She once phoned me up and asked me if she could get the, how do you find the addresses of people posting on Instagram? <laughs> Good and, question. And I said, why? And apparently she'd seen a comment on something I'd posted saying that I didn't think you were funny or that, that thing you did was shit. And she wanted to have a go at this person personally. Yeah. And I said, you just got to disregard that. But then like, so Rob Beckett and I hosted the Royal Variety, this last Royal Variety. And I'd made a joke to Kate and Wills about regretting having three children. Mm -hmm. And I think it might have been the Express or somebody twisted that into disrespectful comedian ridicules Kate and William for having three kids or something like that. And my mum read that and she was really like worried about it. She, uh-huh. she, she got in touch with me and she said, well, what is this everybody saying about you being rude to Kate and William? And I said, well, I said, not everybody's saying it, first of all. I said, yeah. it's like one story. And secondly, you were there. You were at the Royal Variety because she was involved in the show. I said, did it feel like that to you? Is that what, did you see them looking upset by me ridiculing their family situation? Because no, they were laughing. I said, so you know what actually happened? I said, so don't worry about it. But it's difficult because, you know, my mum is so worried about her kids getting on and then suddenly she sees a national newspaper saying this thing about her son and obviously it's going to freak her out. You know, she does get worried about it and I'm able to to not care. Or not not care, that's an exaggeration, but you just you, you give it the... You can rationalise it. Exactly. And so it doesn't really bother me, but that is when it does... Sometimes I'll see something and go, oh, God, that was funny. Or that was a bit mad. Or they hated me for that. But it's only when my mum phones up. My mum, my it has the biggest impact on my mum of anybody. Yeah. Really. What's she like these days to deal with as a celebrity commodity? Because she now has quite a significant profile. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I saw you in one of your stand-up specials talking about it. Yeah. A little bit. And it, I mean, I had a tiny taste of it with my dad because he was in the TV show we used to make. Yeah. You're the originator. Well, I don't know. I'm sure people exploited their parents for entertainment purposes before <laughs> me and Joe uh, did that. But um, our show was different because I never really appeared on camera with my dad. Right. So that relationship was never exploited because it would have revealed immediately that my relationship with my dad was totally dysfunctional. <laughs> yeah. You know, that that uh, there were all sorts of issues we had yet to sort out. Yeah. So we just played it for laughs. We inserted him into festivals and reviewing pop records or whatever but actually laying bare the nuts and bolts of our relationship i was too cowardly to do that or didn't see a way that it could be done in 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 an entertaining fashion yeah as a little short segment on a a a larger show but you you've done that very well i mean it was that happened by accident though if i'm being honest because when we were doing asian provocateur it wasn't by design we were doing asian provocateur and the whole premise of that show is that my mum sends me to Sri Lanka to get in touch with my culture. So by that very nature of that, she was going to be involved in the show. But we didn't know how much. And so we decided that she was going to be in the show, in the UK bits. And we'd have at the top of each show her sending me on my mission for that episode or whatever. And then it just turned out that she was, it was just funny seeing her talk honestly to me and the bickering nature of our relationship was funny it wasn't funny initially she was the first few times that we did it she was too worried about the cameras and 
she kept second guessing herself and doing what she thought we wanted her to do and then she she just stopped doing that and then it it, it was funny but um, i mean she's really reliably funny on yes, on uh, yeah, ranganation yeah she is actually she's really good i mean she's i i can't think of a time when i've thrown to her and bearing in mind i throw to her during the show randomly i can't think of a time when she hasn't said something like funny when yeah. I, when i've gone to her she's she's good and and often she tunes out during the record and that's funny as well she's not always listening yeah um <laughs> which i get you know which is fine i'm not expecting her to be fully engaged the whole time well i guess i am actually okay but i think she's i mean she's loving the experience i don't think she, she i don't think she could have ever imagined that she would be in a position where she's getting recognized and she she loves it she revels in she revels in that side of it more than i i do and do you like who looks after her showbiz wise? Does she have an my, agent? My agent kind of takes care of her. Right. As okay. Well. Cool. So she doesn't have a separate agent no, or something. No. Like she hasn't moved. I'm sure she would. Trying to get her better billing and. <laughs> no, it's not moved to that yet. Oh, um, that is a possibility, though, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, I think my agent would be very upset if that happened, though. Yeah. If my mum accused my agent of lowballing her and moved <laughs> elsewhere. I think she'd be pretty pissed off. Are you doing more Ranganation? Yes, we're doing another series of that. That's a funny show, man. And if but for people who haven't seen the show, you've got a group of what? 25. Or, right. 25 people. Members of the public. Yeah. The Ranganation play a huge part in that show. And, and they each have a name tag that says something like... Yeah, so we have privileged because he's super posh yeah they're kind of demographic labels yes exactly it's sort of their most defining characteristic i guess yeah and the whole idea of giving those labels were that those kind of labels give you a preconception of what those people might think about certain things yeah and the idea was that some of those people might have views that are in keeping with your expectations sometimes i have views that completely sit in opposition to that so that's Mm. the idea and so we go through it so i'll introduce a topic we have two guests as well it tends to be like a comedian and a celeb from a different world and we go through all these different stories and the ranganation give their take on it and we try and use them as a barometer of what we think about these different issues a discussion show essentially yeah and all of the piss taking i do or not the piss piss taking is the wrong word all of the joshing and Fun that I have with the them. bants, the bants, yeah. All the bants is fairly affectionate most of the time, yeah, definitely. Yeah. No, that's the thing about your stuff is that it does have that warmth to it, which plays very nicely. I'm analyzing what you do, yeah. Thanks. What's that like to hear? I like it, I enjoy yeah. it actually. Yeah, the warmth is a nice counterpoint, it underlies and enables the enjoyment of the more pointed grumpy side of your personality that is how what you do works in case you were wondering oh thank you i haven't thought about it like um yeah (laughs) (laughs) no it's good man congratulations and then you've got judge ramesh yeah which i haven't seen so much but um i've come up with some other ideas for shows for you okay go for it all right now these are admittedly shows that rely on wordplay involving your name okay well that's not i mean that's in keeping with it does seem to be the way that some of your shows have come about especially ranganation judge ramesh maybe not so much so this is an idea that my son came up with okay and the show is called ramesh rang and nathan i think i might know what the show is but yeah well you describe it to me 
So I'm assuming that it's each, I don't know how long each call would be. L- half an hour. Okay, so it's, it's I, for half an hour, call a Nathan. Someone called Nathan. Someone called Nathan. And just have a chat with them. Yes. Are they celebrity Nathans? Well, I can you think of any? No. Neither can I. So it'll have to be like Dave Gorman style. You're just finding people called Nathan. Random Nathans. Yeah. Ramesh Ranga Nathan. And you think the phone call would be half an hour? I mean, it's got to be. Unless you want to pack a few phone calls with different Nathans into one show. I think you'd have to, wouldn't you? Different Nathans from different nations. Yeah. Yeah. Ramesh Ranga Nathan. Yeah. Channel? That's going to work on any channel. Yeah. I mean, what channel is that not going to work on? If it's Vice, then you can ring edgy Nathans. Yeah. Ring some far-right Nathans. Ring some Nathans on psychedelic drugs. Yeah. If it's Channel 4, fuck it. Just... (laughs) (laughs) Just make it up. As you go along, justify it later. (laughs) Any old Nathan. Doesn't matter. And then, I mean, you know, I'm spitballing here, but yeah. I think it's going to work pretty yeah, much okay. wherever. Mm. You know, you're good at crowd work and talking to audiences. Yeah. You could do that. I did something, well, I, I've done phone call-related bants on, I did Greg James's show. Do you know mm-hmm. Greg James on Radio? Sure, yeah. Have you been a guest on that show? No. So they put you in to take calls from members of the public. Uh-huh. And... I think the last time I've done it a couple of times. The last time I did it, it was people talking about things they were proud of about their town that people didn't know about. So it might be a park that was really nice or a fish and chip shop that was amazing. Mm -hmm. And I would say I got as much as I could out of those phone calls, maybe a minute and a half in. So, (laughs) so you're thinking one call. I I think it would have to be a few. Also, the thing is that the show could start with. This is what happened when Ramesh rang a Nathan. Good. And then you go off on some fucking adventure. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. <laughs> All right, you ready for another one? Yeah, go on. This is very strong. Okay. Stronger than the previous? No disrespect to my son, but okay. yes. Okay. Rang a management. <laughs> Ramesh is put in a variety of infuriating scenarios to see if he can keep it together. Come on. Tell me why that isn't ready to go. That genuinely sounds like something that could happen. I mean, that is... So what type of scenarios are we talking about? I mean, something that would genuinely make you angry. What what makes you angry on a regular basis? I mean, you seem like a sort of calm, level-headed person, but but when you do start losing your shit, what is it about generally? It was little things, really. For mm-hmm. example, I find it um, infuriating when people are rude to service staff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. Because you and I work in an industry where I would say people talk to you in a way that there's a lot of bullshit basically mm-hmm. and so people are nice to certain people because they feel like they should be nice to those people and you're conscious of the fact that i'm conscious of the fact that sometimes people are being nice to people for, for reasons other than human decency yeah. right if you're in a restaurant that is you the way that you talk to that person is how you'd really talk to somebody if there were the stakes were zero there's it's not going to affect you at all so this is just how you decide you're going to interact with somebody mm-hmm if you choose to be a, a prick 
to somebody in that situation, I think you're unacceptable as, as a person. It's yeah. awful. It is awful. Rang management. <laughs> What's the angriest you've ever been? Like, do you ever lose your shit in public? I have on the phone. I've probably lost my shit on the phone with people. Face to face, I can't think of a time. Right, right. Oh, actually, on one occasion, I was at a gig near Oxford somewhere. And I, I was closing the gig. And I didn't have a lot of money at the time. And I bought a saver ticket to get back to Crawley. And the gig had run late. And I was looking at arriving home at about one thirty, two o'clock and in the morning. And I was on this train and I'd been told that my ticket was valid for this train journey. And I sat on the train and we're pulling up to, I think it was Reading Station or something. And this conductor came up and he checked my ticket and he said, oh, you can't be on this train with this ticket. And I said, well, I'll be, I, I was told that I can. And he said, you can't get off. You, you got to get. But the way he was speaking to me was like he, I was trying to pull a fast one. Yeah. And so I was emboldened by this sense of injustice that I'd been reliably informed or unreliably informed as it turns out that I was okay to get this train. And what he was saying to me was that you're going to have to get off and get another service, which is going to add about an hour to my journey. It was yeah. much slower and much more convoluted. And I said to him, I was told by one of your guys that I can get on the train. And I, I was sort of panicking because I didn't want to get home. I was just sort of freaking out about getting home to you. Like, and I started like raising my voice to him to the point where it then ceased to be a discussion about whether that ticket was valid or not. And I had started to become a nuisance on this train. So as we pulled up to Reading, he called for help. (laughs) And this other guy came on and then they started talking to me about me having to get off the train. And I got off the train. I was absolutely furious. I'm not proud of this, but as the train pulled away, the guy was stood in the door. And for a while, I followed the train shouting at the guy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> running alongside yeah I, I don't know what good I thought was going to come of it but I, I, I just felt so passionate that I wanted him to know that I was not somebody trying to pull a fast one I'd been told by somebody mm. else but now I, as soon as I got home and that ceased to be an emergency or you know in the forefront of my mind all rage inducing I'm just thinking this guy just thinks that somebody had a ticket that wasn't valid on the thing. I He's know, not, I know, but it's I so, felt so unreasonable afterwards. It's you know? so difficult. In, well, I don't know. I mean, for normal people, maybe it's not difficult. <laughs> but for a very little man like me, it can be very challenging in those situations. Mm, biscuits. Mm-hmm. I am in love with you. I'll dip you in my tea, but pull you out before you fall apart. I won't abandon you. Biscuits, biscuits, mm-hmm, nice. All right, last, <laughs> last idea. This no. is, by the way, can I say, I'm yeah. really enjoying this development meeting. All right, good. It's great. Now, this one needs a little bit of explaining. This one is called You Rang a Nathan? Okay, it sounds very similar and to the first got, idea. In, no, it depends on how you say it. So it would come with this sound effect. You, like, you, do you ever watch The Adams Family? Yeah. With Lurch, the butler? Yeah. yeah. And Lurch would say, You rang. Nathan. <laughs> Let's hear that again. You rang. Nathan. <laughs> and it is you. Ramesh becomes a butler for okay. a different celebrity each week. 
ideally Tom Cruise, Kendrick Lamar, Kylie Jenner, Greta Thunberg, Rihanna, Prince Harry, and the Duchess of Meghan. And that was our wish list. More likely, it's probably going to be Gemma Collins, <laughs> Danny Dyer, Chris Eubank, and Scarlett Moffat. But you'll, you'll be the butler. Yeah. Did you pitch this thinking that I was going to think this is ridiculous? Because I actually think it's fairly plausible, isn't it? You're right. Yeah, Nathan. Because <laughs> it's funny, you know, there'll be stuff about class, about yeah. power dynamics, mm. but there'll be a lot of scope for lols. And you'll get to see inside their house. Yeah. It'll be a bit like a kind of Hello Magazine celebrity profile thing. Can I ask questions as if this is be really being pitched? Yeah. <laughs> How would my day look? Because theoretically, I'm not going to be with them the whole time. So I'm, no, this I'm is somewhere else in the house and then they ring their bell or whatever or press their buzzer. And yeah. then I go... You rang, Nathan. Nathan yeah. yeah. And then they say, can I have a cup of tea? And then immediately I leave them, don't I, to go and make this cup of tea? No, you hover. It's like an old... It's like, think Lurch. Okay, fine. So you hover. You're yeah. in livery, whatever the word is for yeah. the uniform. You've got a, a silver tray. Yeah. You know, it's old school okay. butler. And I'm just there the whole time. Yep. And I would interview them. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Okay. I'm just... This is early days. Sure. Okay. But something like that. It's what, mainly I'll, based on that audio sample and the name okay so to be honest with you the thought process hasn't gone no okay it hasn't gone further than that and the wish list that well. by the way how wish list work versus reality <laughs> absolutely how it goes isn't it? <laughs> but some people have access to like incredible like don't you think i don't know if you listen to mark maron's podcast yes wtf and conan o'brien you know he hasn't i mean there's just these people who have access to the A-list, the cream mm. of the A-list. Yeah. It's just extraordinary. I know. Holy Moses. Do you ever send emails or requests to people who are beyond the realms of realistic possibility? Yes. And do you get responses? No. <laughs> <laughs> Does that happen most of the time? Yeah. Yeah, I have the same experience. Total silence. I have the same experience. The thing is that probably you and I have done exactly the same thing, yeah. right? When asked by other people to do things. Sure. You know, this is the thing. I tell these kind of stories as if I am always really good at getting back to people who ask me to do things. I know. And I'm fucking awful. Yeah, I'm definitely worse than you. <laughs> I had it this morning where there's a kid I used to teach and he was working as a broker and doing quite well. And decided that he was going to give it all up to become an actor. And he got in touch with me and said, would it be possible to have a chat with you? I know you're in that sort of area. I know you're not an actor, but would it be possible to have a chat? And I said, yes, of course. And I had a phone conversation with him. And I said, I'll keep in regular touch. I'm happy to help you out as much as I can. And I genuinely meant that. And then I just became shit at getting back to him. And then this morning, I'm getting the train to come here. And he's at the train station. No. Yeah. Thankfully, I'd replied to a text the previous week. He'd said to me, can we have a chat? And I said, I'm away at the moment, but I'll, I'll get in touch with you when I come back. Bumped him at the train station. And I just spent the first however long just apologising to him. Because how I've behaved to him is 
so different to, to what my intentions are. I really want to help him out. I really yeah. want to do everything I can to help this guy. He was a great kid. I mean, he's a great young man. And whatever I can do to help people, I, I would love to. I would love to help him. But I'm just a shit person. <laughs> and, and it became apparent to me from talking to him, I think to myself, your perception of how I feel about this is so different to how I actually feel about it. And yeah. that's because I've just been bad at admin, at, at doing these things. Because I kept saying to him, man, I really want to do whatever I can. Please keep in touch with me. In anything I can do, I'll, I'll try and get you in touch with the casting director. I'll try and send you details of agents that you could speak to. I'm saying all of this. And I'm in my head, I'm thinking to myself, he doesn't believe I want to do any of this. But I do. I do. It's just I'm shit. No, you're, everything. you're very busy as well. Is the I other guess thing. so, but it's it's. No, I think some people are good at that, and some people are not. And who knows what the reasons are? And I'm defending you because I think I'm the same. <laughs> and I, in my head, I think oh, I'm a nice person, but it isn't nice to just. I, I should just fucking respond to emails when they come in and texts and things like that. But I regularly will text people back. I mean, I think that I don't leave anyone hanging full stop. Yeah. I don't just ignore it full stop. But sometimes it, it it's as much as three or four weeks. Yeah. And then I'll reply and I'm like, oh, I'm no good at replying to texts. But that's not really a good excuse just to say, oh, I'm not very good at that. It's not very hard. I know. And then I think to myself, well, how can you say that you really want to help somebody if you haven't prioritised it? Mm. You can't want it that much. If I want to pay my tax bill, I do that. Yeah. As soon as it's required. Yeah. So I can't want to help this guy as much as I want to pay my tax. If you want to go to the toilet. I do it. You go straight, straight away, away to yeah. the toilet. If my wife texts me about something at home. Yeah. I tend to reply straight away. I don't. Do you not? <laughs> no. Not always. I mean, my excuse, which is generally true, is that I'm on my bike a lot of the time. I, on more than one occasion... I've been on the phone to my wife when I've been out and about. Something I've had to go to do something, and I said, I'll call you back in a sec, and then just not called her back. Uh-huh. And not realised. Go on about the rest of my day. Yeah. And I get back home, and I think she enjoys the reveal. <laughs> hey, everybody in the modern time, they got to get themselves a podcast. I will do yours and you'll do mine. We're sorting out the problems of the world so fast. Um, are you religious? Mm, no, not Were you brought up religious? Yes. Yeah. Right, okay. Yeah, were you? Uh, vaguely, kind of, you know, Protestant, go to church every now and again. Yeah. Go to schools where you had to go to church, sing hymns. Do I prayers. like all of that. Yeah, I do too. I mean, the good bits of religion are pretty good. I used to love going to the temple. Yeah. Well, my parents are Hindu. I used to love it. It was a ball lake because they would go to, the temple we went to is in Wembley. But I like being in places of worship. So what do you do at temple? You just sort of wander around there and it smells amazing. You could ask for a blessing if you wanted and the priest would do it. Um, completely unintelligible to me and to... Everyone else thinks it's all in Sanskrit. And it was, I love, I really enjoyed it. How long did it last though? Did you have to sit down and do prayers and things like that? Be there for about half an hour. Oh, right. Something like that. That's good. Yeah. You see, for me, it was just total boredom. Right. You're in there for an hour. It's like, let us pray. Here we go. 
blah, 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 blah. Stand up, do the hymn. I don't like this hymn. This is boring. I want to be at home watching TV. Yeah. Let us pray again. Okay. And stand up and do another song. Blah, 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 blah. And then I'm going to talk to you for 15 minutes now about some things that you should be doing and you should be thinking about. Let us pray again. Yeah. And so I just thought it was a load of balls and I didn't like it and it didn't mean anything to me. And I had no spiritual connection, intellectual connection with it. Didn't see the value in it. It was just a thing that I had to do that I didn't want to do. Right. So that was my whole association with it. And then when I got a bit older... I found myself, I'd sort of pray when I wanted things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'd also pray to look after people and, you know, like, can you help out this person and that person and look after mum and dad? They don't seem to be having a nice time or whatever. So slightly altruistic. Mm. Very sweet. And that was quite comforting. And I had a kind of spiritual life, very, very vague. Mm. And How old is this? Teens. Right. Up to the end of my teens, probably. And then it just fell away when all my um, most selfish impulses took hold in my mm. 20s, you know. <laughs> but now I'm 50 and people are dying, yeah. <laughs> members of my family, etc. And I'm going to more funerals and things like that. I've had, I've, I've realized that the most comforting and meaningful times I've had recently have been in church at a funeral or whatever, and listening to people talk about someone who died and how much they loved them and how much they meant to them and what that person was like. And, mm. and the whole ritual and the sense of community and religion at its best, basically, yeah, was really moving and affecting. And I just thought, shit, I, I wish this was part of my life without all the... Other stuff. Other stuff. I find the idea of faith very reassuring because... Sort of, you sort of have faith in nothing, don't you? Really, not that's not true. I'm being needlessly harsh there, but I think that that sort of rock of faith, completely unshakable faith, I find amazing. Yeah, but it's like an act of massive self delusion in a way. But it, depending on, I mean, this is a this is a big conversation. I know, I know, (laughs) I know. Apparently, some people feel very strongly about this. Yeah. <laughs> Do you ever watch stuff online with people debating all this? Shit yeah, yeah. Atheists going at it with yeah. with uh, religious people, and it's you never get anything out of it, do you? I mean, you never come to the end of something and go, "No, oh, I think I've changed my mind a little bit." Do you? No. You know, it'll just be really, really clever atheists delivering zingers one after another yeah. and withering put downs of someone who's goofy enough to believe in something magical and unprovable and and you'll be in awe of sometimes if it's someone very articulate the religious person you're sort of like oh yeah they're brilliant and oh i don't know so i watched i don't know if you saw ricky gervais on he was on colbert Mm -hmm. and stephen colbert's religious and he asked basically opened up a debate to ricky who's obviously a a passionate atheist Mm. And he said, one of the things, one of the points he made was that if you were to destroy all all books, the science ones would be written again. They would come back because people would rediscover those things. And, you know, that's the difference between science and religion. And, and his thesis was that that wouldn't, you couldn't say that about About Bibles religious books, and, about the Bible, yeah, yeah. I don't think that's true, though. 
don't you? I mean, I think that that is a fundamental urge in people is to tell those stories and to believe those things. They might write those books, but say if, if, if all of that was wiped, say if that, I think the point is making, if all that was wiped from existence, the memories of it or whatever, yeah, that the science books would be rewritten because we'd rediscover all those things again, whereas you're not going to get another Bible that's identical to the previous Bible. Do you know what I mean? Right. That was the point he was making. It might be even better, Bible 2. Oh, because the thing is, because I, I re-watch, when you watch Force Awakens, I watch Force, <laughs> I watch Force Awakens with my son, and Force Awakens is essentially a reboot of Star Wars. Uh-huh. And I sat there with my son, he was absolutely gripped, and I watched that thinking, this is Star Wars for someone with his attention span. Because in, in, in the original Star Wars, there's a 10-minute scene where Luke Skywalker is just in Obi-Wan Kenobi's living room, and they're just talking about <laughs> stuff. <laughs> And there's nothing that requires that attention span in Force Awakens. It's just bang, 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 bang. <laughs> I think that's what the Bible 2 would be like. <laughs> miracle after miracle. Yeah, just... You just can't breathe for miracles. It's just bang, bang. You think Jesus is done. He hits you with another one. Just... <laughs> and it would be like really good, exciting miracles as well. <laughs> This is an advert for Squarespace. Every time I visit your website, I see success. Yes, success. The way that you look at the world makes the world want to say yes. It looks very professional. I love browsing your videos and pics, and I don't want to stop. And I'd like to access your members area. And spend in your shop. These are the kinds of comments people will say about your website if you build it with Squarespace. Just visit squarespace.com slash Buxton for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, because you will want to launch, use the offer code Buxton to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. So put the smile of success on your face with Squarespace. Yes. Continue. Someday this war's gonna end. Hey, welcome back, podcats. Thanks very much indeed to Romesh Ranganathan. You will find in the description of this podcast one or two Romesh-related links. Uh, links to his excellent Hip Hop Saved My Life podcast, on which he has serious and not-so-serious discussions about the hip-hop music he grew up on and is still passionate about with with a few sort of heavy hitters from the hip-hop world as well as a few total morons like myself. I was on there a while back. And Louis Theroux is on there as well, actually. That's quite a good episode. Uh, also a link to Ramesh's book. He wrote a book. Everyone's writing books. Straight Out of Crawley is Ramesh's book. That's it for this week. I'm going to head back. A few more tweaks on the audio book. Going to record another podcast as soon as possible with someone else 
on lockdown. Put that out as soon as I can. Until then, I hope you're doing okay, whether you're at home or on the front line. I salute you. And in my mind, I hug you. I kiss you. Not inappropriately. I would never do that. But, uh, you know, if you're up for it, then yeah, a little bit inappropriately. And uh, I just hope that you're doing all right. Okay. That was my sincere voice there. But I, I, I'm sincere. Till next time. Take the best of care. And for goodness sake, remember... I love you.